Hi there, and welcome to the Umpal.com podcast. I'm Oli, and for this episode, it is my pleasure to bring to you a chat with Kurt Hewn, the guy behind PipemakersForum.com as well as PipeCrafter.com. PipemakersForum.com is a great place to learn the ins and outs of pipe making, while PipeCrafter.com is where Kurt showcases his own handmade gems. Check them both out at your earliest convenience. This podcast was made possible by your favorite, or soon-to-be favorite, magazine, Pipes and Tobaccos. Go to pt-magazine.com and check them out. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to this great periodical and help support the hobby. The folks over at Pipes and Tobaccos magazine bust their butts to bring us one of the finest magazines there are on the subject. Let's show our appreciation and support them. Hey, if you have a subscription already, consider gifting a subscription to a friend or even a newcomer to the hobby. How cool would that be? Do it and report back. Let me know. The following podcast was recorded on May 28, 2010. Sit back, grab a pipe, and stay a while. I hope you enjoy. Okay, with me on the line today, I have Kurt Hewn, the moderator and main man behind PipemakersForum.com. Kurt, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. You can find Pipemakers Forum online at PipemakersForum.com, and you can find Kurt's beautiful pipes over at PipeCrafter.com. Kurt, you run and moderate Pipemakers Forum. You have your own blog. You make some absolutely beautiful pipes, and you even make tools that are specially made for pipe making. What other hats do you wear? Thank you. I I actually started off uh, before I made pipes actually trying to make knives. And since then, I've actually gotten much, much better at those. Uh, I make knives. I brew beer. I uh, make wine. Uh I am uh, in the midst of applying for a federal permit to uh, 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 to produce alcohol fuel. I, I guess I'm a tinkerer. I wear a lot of hats. Wow. Where do you live? Because I'd like to be your neighbor. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where are you, really? Seriously. I am in uh, western Rhode Island, a little tiny uh, town called Clayville. Uh, that, uh, we have a post office, but not much else. Uh, we actually are part of the larger uh, town of Situate, uh, who uh, provides all the infrastructure. But uh, we have uh, we have a we have a small school here that services all of Situate. It's uh, just the elementary school. Uh, but other than that, there's two roads, no lights, and I think one stop sign. Wow! Have you lived there your whole life? I moved here with my parents when I was about 14 or so. Uh, my dad was transferred uh, within his company, and uh, this is where we uh, we found the best deal on uh, a house for us. And uh, over the course of the years, I've moved away a few times when I went off to college and uh, when I got married, but uh, I always wanted to come back and live here. And, uh, a few years ago, uh, I was presented with the opportunity to uh, buy uh, one of the smaller houses here, so I, we jumped on it. It's a, it's a wonderful place to live. Very cool. Uh, where else have you lived besides Rhode Island? Uh, almost everywhere. As, as a kid, my dad was in the Navy, so it, it, we were bounced around uh, from uh, Illinois to uh, uh, Italy to uh, Hawaii, uh, pretty much all over the place. Wow. And then later... Uh, in my uh, teen years, it was mostly in Ohio, um, and then as an adult, uh, I've lived in uh, Silicon Valley, uh, lived in Ohio for a few years, uh, but mostly here in Rhode Island, uh, in one uh, city or another. We just keep coming back here. Rhode Island is, it, it, it's like that. Uh, once you, if, if you live here for the bulk of your life, you always seem to come back for some reason. I'm not sure why that is. Mm. Sounds like sounds like a really nice place. Is it pretty pretty laid back? I'm guessing up there, right? Fairly laid back around here. Uh, I used to uh, live in uh, Warwick, Rhode Island, which is a big retail uh, sprawl, and uh, nonstop noise. You know, the planes overhead, sirens going, uh, road noise from uh, Route One, uh, just all kinds of, of cacophony. We moved out here. Now when we hear a plane overhead, uh, we wonder what's going on, what's happening. Is this going to crash? 
Jerry. And we almost hear, almost never hear a siren. If we do, uh, it's usually out on the main road going through the town rather than stopping in it. So it, it is a very quiet place. That's nice. I like quiet places. We kind of live out in the country a little bit too. It's, it's you know, we can drive into the city. We live next to Atlanta, but um, it's nice to be out in the country. It, it suits me. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely suits us. That's for sure. Um, being entrenched in a very well-run forum, I'm guessing you have some kind of IT background? I do. Uh, I mentioned Silicon Valley, uh, which is uh, where I had uh, started in IT a little bit before moving to California, but that's where I really decided that that was the course I was going to take uh, for uh, my career. And, uh, you know, just being out there in Silicon Valley, you can't help but not be in IT. You know, if you if you are an engineer or a tinkerer of any kind, uh, especially in the uh, mid-90s when I lived out there, that was the heyday uh, of that era. And just being able to, you know, go to Silicon Graphics one day or Sun Microsystems the next and, and uh, get to play with all kinds of stuff, it was wonderful. Uh, since then, I've been... Uh, after moving back to the Northeast, I was uh, uh, IT manager at a couple of different places, uh, engineer at a couple of different places, and uh, most recently was uh, uh, IT manager at a couple of banks before deciding to uh, move into pipe making for uh, the bulk of my income. IT is uh, IT is one of those things where you can easily get uh, burned out on if you go too hot too fast. Really, yeah. Tell me about Pipe Makers Forum, what it's all about, and how it works. I like to think of Pipe Makers Forum as really a just a community-driven uh, uh, repository for information, where people, whether it's uh, myself or uh, Rad Davis or Jeff Graysick or, or even Todd Johnson pops in now and again, where we freely give information simply for the asking, and hopefully people will uh, make good use of what uh, of what we put out there. Really, what I want it to be, anybody who wants to learn anything about pipe making, even if you don't want to make a pipe, if you just want to know the process, uh, get to know the makers a little bit better, or if you're an aspiring maker, uh, I, I want Pipe Makers Forum to be the place where you can come feel welcome, not feel as if you've been uh, put down at all because you don't understand one procedure or another, uh, and where there are no stupid questions. And the information is, is the big thing. You know, I, I'm part of the uh, open source movement. I, I believe open source pipe making is really one of the best things to happen to pipe making in such a long time. You know, years ago, when I first started making pipes, it was there were a lot of things that were very misunderstood about the process and the materials and everything else. And there was this mysticism and, and uh, misconceptions about briar and how it should be treated and everything else. And now I think with the advent of, of the really the Internet age, which some would say we started five years ago, which is about the time when the forum started, where everybody's on the internet, even my grandmother's on the internet now. You can find this information and you can ask the questions and find out what's the mythical and what's the practical, you know. Uh, that's really what I want the Pipe Makers Forum to be, where anybody who has a question about anything can come and ask it. And by and large, they're, they're really, they're going to get an answer. Yeah, open source pipe making. I've never heard that uh, term. That's great. I love <laughs> it. That's fantastic. Yeah, really, that's, I think that's the primary goal. I don't think there should be secrets in pipe making. You know, there are secrets that each maker will have, like uh, what uh, kind of sandblaster they use and perhaps what media they use. But other than that, uh, the fact that they use a sandblaster and uh, that uh, you want a really, really, really big compressor, none of that should be secret. You know, how do you make this finish? Well, I can't tell you that. Uh, that to me is anathema to pipe making and the camaraderie that pipe making and smoking really is. What made you decide to devote so much time and energy to this very worthy cause? 
Oh, I think it is because uh, when I first started pipe making, I really didn't have a whole lot of, of resources to draw on. Um, I didn't live really near any pipe makers. Uh, I wasn't aware of any that I lived near anyway. And there were a lot of stumbling blocks for myself, learning how to do you know, even something as simple as drilling the tobacco chamber and the airway and what order is best to do it in. There was a lot of experimentation, and a lot of ruined drill bits, uh, trying to figure out what the best way is to do that. And then one day I stumbled upon the Pipe Makers Forum while Tyler Beard was still running it. And uh, it was just, there was so much information there. Everything that I could have had a question on uh, at the time, somebody was willing to explain or somebody had already asked the question and had been answered. And I decided, you know, when Tyler was looking for somebody to run it uh, as he was stepping out of pipe making, I jumped at the opportunity because it was so helpful to me. And I wanted everybody else to be able to go to the same place and get all the information they could possibly want and more. And when did you take it over from Tyler? Uh, a number of years ago. I, I forget exactly when. It may have been 2000 or 2004 in that area. And did he start it? He did. He started it as, as sort of an offshoot of his website where he had uh, some videos of how to make a pipe and then he created the forum um, and it really started to grow. It started to uh, demand a lot of his time as well as the, the pipe making uh, demanded a lot of his time. Um, and when he decided to uh, step back and devote more time to his family was, was when I took it over. Are there any specific success stories that you can point to that have come from the Pipe Makers Forum? I'm sure there's quite a lot of carvers that have kind of uh, found their way through this great resource. There are a few really good carvers out there. Um, Jeff Brasick and I I think, found the forum at about the same time. Uh, although our approaches to it were a little bit different, he actually went and visited with uh, Todd and uh, got one-on-one -on -one instruction while I was happy to just learn from afar. Uh, there are, oh my goodness, I can't think of any at the moment, but I, I know for certain that there are a few carvers who have started on the forum uh, and really have hit upon some really good success. Uh, there's a few, in my opinion, who are there right now. Uh, Ronnie Thuner um, is one of them who I remember when he first started on the forum, um, had so many questions uh, and uh, really just showed incredible talent right from the get-go and has had wonderful success. Um, and there's, there's a handful of others, too, whose names escape me at the moment. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there, there are definitely some really, some folks who, get started on the forum with a couple of questions, and before you know it, they've posted something that looks like it was made by a professional who's been doing it for several years. It's, it's, a, it's a really uh, amazing spot for folks to get just a ton of information about you know any possible little aspect of pipe making you can possibly think of. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's really great that this type of thing is out there, being, not only being preserved, but... Um, you know, everyone who's involved is building on it as as it goes, and it's uh, it's really neat. It's really an incredible thing. Thank you. It's it's really it it has kind of taken on a life of its own. It's uh, it does require some time, dedication for me to keep it up and running and upgraded and everything else. But uh, you know, I really don't mind dedicating that time. It, it, I'm just happy to see it out there and being used by folks. Tell me about Kurt Hewn, the inventor, machinist, and how you decided to start making tools for pipe makers. Well, I was once told, even before I started making pipes, uh, a friend and I were talking, and he, and he had told me, he says, you know the difference between a craftsman and uh, someone who just makes stuff? I said, uh, no, because I thought they were one of the same. He, he says to me, you know, a real craftsman makes his own tools. I said, that's interesting, but I don't understand how that applies. Then I started making pipes and realized that there isn't a store that you can go to 
like Woodcraft and walk in there and, and buy your pipe making equipment. You got to have a lot of stuff custom made, uh, and you have to make a lot of stuff yourself. So a lot of what I buy is sort of uh, harebrained ideas on my part about how best to do a given thing and transfer that into something that is going to stand up to daily shop use. Um, the sanding arbor that I that I did, I that was. I don't even know how I thought of that. That was purely a uh, just a, a flight of fancy, I think. And I started, I grabbed a piece of uh, uh, aluminum rod, and I thought, I wonder if I can make this do something that I want it to do. And it, really, it was, um, everything is sort of an offshoot of that. I, I need to perform a specific function, and I need to do it as fast as possible. Otherwise, if I spend too much time on it, I'm going to get soaked when it comes time to sell the pipe. So boiling everything down to its simplest properties, and I think that there are a lot of custom setups out there. Just to take the sanding arbor, for instance, there's a lot of custom setups out there that run in hundreds of dollars. I'm a poor pipe maker, and I can't afford that stuff. So I decided I'd take this idea, use some off-the-shelf components, use commodity uh, sanding disks, and let's see what I can come up with. Turns out the result was pretty good. So I decided, you know, after seeing a lot of people with questions about how how do you sand using wheels and where can you get a French wheel and everything else, it, one day I just said, uh, well, this is what I do. If anybody's interested, you know, for a minimal fee, you know, I'll make one for you too. And, and it grew from there. And what kind of things do you make right now? I well, I do the sanding arbor. I'm coming up with trying to come up with a uh, a really uh, a resilient method for doing rough shaping with a wheel, uh, and I think that uh, I think I'm reaching the final portion now where you can use basically commodity uh, resin grinding uh, wheels, and uh, it'll be actually an attachment to the existing arbor. Uh, but I'm still working out some kinks, you know, getting uh, getting the mounting method solid and everything else. Uh, other than that, I, I come up with little jigs all the time, little one-offs where I'm doing a, a certain pipe, and I've got to drill it in a certain fashion, but my uh, lathe chuck won't hold it or the drill press won't hold it. So I'll end up with uh, these things that would probably scare a professional machinist <laughs> that look look incredibly dangerous. In fact, I think OSHA has probably declared my shop a, uh, a disaster site. But uh, they work, so almost every, almost every day I come up with a little something that makes makes my job easier in some fashion or another. Some of them definitely are not ready for general consumption because, because of what I do. <laughs> but, you know, stuff like uh, when I grind my drill bits, uh, I do some rather dangerous things. And, and in fact, uh, uh, credit goes to Jeff Grasick uh, once uh, because I was describing exactly what I do. And, uh, you know, I did preface it by don't try this at home, kids, but uh, decided to post my procedure anyway. And Jeff gave me a call and he says, he says, you know, in a litigious society such as this, you know, maybe you don't want to put that whole thing out there. Somebody is going to try that, and they're going to come back and say it was you that said it was okay. I said, you know what, Jeff, you're probably right. I think I'll rephrase that and just say that I, I grind my bits. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about uh, Kurt Hewn, the pipe maker, and how you started making pipes. Oh, years. Uh, I guess it's, it's going on 10 years. Is it 10 years? A while back, anyway. Um, I was looking for a hobby, and uh, you know, I, I had it was, it was one of those points in my IT career which where I was really getting burned out. I was going very quickly. I was working for uh, a startup at the time, which was demanding a lot of time, and I needed some downtime. And I was looking for something to do, and uh, decided to give knife making a try. And uh, I knew next to nothing about working with steel. But I had a grinder, and I just started playing with it, and it turns out that 
uh, not only did I not know anything about steel, but I didn't know anything about knives, and I didn't make any very good things, <laughs> put it that way. Uh, so I was lamenting that fact to uh, one of my friends, and he says, he says, well, why don't you make pipes? I said, well, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. You know, I went out to the workshop one day with my pipe in my mouth and, and uh, started looking around the workshop trying to say, well, okay, I, I'm not a very good knife maker. What can I do that, uh, that'll that make use of all these tools that I have? And, uh, you know, I grabbed my pipe out of my mouth and I sat down and I started looking and I looked at my pipe and I said, well, maybe he's right. Why not? I'll give it a shot. That's really exactly how it began. It was uh, just why not? If I can, I said, if, if I can replace a, a valve head on my truck, certainly I can make a pipe. <laughs> and it wasn't that easy, but it, it was. Uh, it was definitely worth the journey. Tell me about the different lines of pipes that you have to offer, and. If you could save the Mount Doom line for last, even if you're not going to continue to make those, because I'd, I'd like to t hear more about those. Sure. Uh, the first uh, of my offerings, the least expensive, that's the uh, Countryman line. And that is, uh, those are fairly sporadic, uh, similar to Trevor Talbert's Linea Britannia. It's a factory turned stumble uh, that I buy, and then uh, finish it, uh, hand finish everything, uh, fit the stem, uh, finish the drilling because they don't come completely drilled, uh, and uh, sanding, uh, everything else goes from there. I try to keep the prices very low on those because I know there are guys that want the benefit of a handmade or hand finished pipe but don't have uh, the money for a completely handmade pipe. Um, they are somewhat sporadic because I, I don't always find uh, a ready supply of, of the shapes that I want to make. Uh, so those come by eh, once every six months to a year or so. Uh, and then the next lineup, in fact, getting back to the countryman, those used to be uh, fully handmade pipes, but the time investment in those didn't let me keep the price around the $100 mark, which is where I wanted it. Uh, when I discovered pre-turn stumbles, that's when I made the switch to that. The benefit, obviously, is that even with uh, the price point at around $100, uh, a lot of stumbles come through that can be finished smooth. So a hand-finished pipe with a smooth finish for 100 bucks is almost unheard of. But that's that's my goal is to keep that there for folks who want the, the smoking qualities of, of a handmade pipe but can't really afford the handmade price. Now I've got the Sigmund line, which is fully handmade. What was uh, that? What was that called again? Uh, the Cityman. Cityman, okay. Yes, yeah, and that is that's fully handmade. Uh, the stems are all hand cut. Uh, they can be either uh, smooth or sandblasted, depending, and the price is different depending on the finish and the, uh, uh, the complexity of the shape and drilling and such. Uh, those those are uh, really where that's where my bread and butter is, because that's where most of the pipes end up being graded is in that category. Uh, those are those range from a hair under 200 to up over uh, close to 400, depending. Um, and that's where the bulk of my custom orders uh, get graded as well. Uh, they're essentially, they're the, uh, I think right at the price point where it's the, uh, almost like the, almost like the tipping point uh, for folks where they, they want the handmade pipe and they're willing to spend X dollars, and, and most of my pipes in the Cityman line will end up in that range. Uh, by and large, they do end up getting sandblasted these days, but I think that's just my luck. When I, when I pull a block out of the bag, it, uh, it ends up in uh, getting sandblasted. But recently, uh, as, as recently as a few days ago, there were a couple of really nice examples of, of smooth pipes there, too. And then the... 
noble design is uh, those are very very rare. Uh, those I get those I grade uh, based on the grain. Um, they're always smooth. Uh, they are probably I want to say 99% of the time they are not a catalog shape. They're always a freehand. Uh, always somewhat different uh, in their styling. Uh, and those are uh, those are I think I've only had one or two over my career of, of uh, custom orders that were graded noble. Uh, they only come around two or three times a year, really. Uh, probably being too hard on myself, my wife would tell me, but uh, I don't think so. I have to I have to sleep at night, so that's that's my decision. And then, of course, I've got uh, the uh, Morta pipes that I do, uh, and those. Those actually are even more rare than the noblemen, simply because of the scarcity of material in the states. Uh, you just don't come by uh, partially petrified oak all the time here in the states. Uh, and I did luck out a few years ago and uh, found a guy who had a bunch, bought everything he had, and uh, I'm only now reaching the end of that supply, which was, um, gosh, I want to say it might have been two equivalent of about two board feet uh, was about all he had. Um, and uh, what else is there? I think the, yeah, I think the Mount Doom was the, uh, was the next uh, line of stuff. That's a really neat line. Are you going to, are you going to um, do any more of those? I am actually planning on it because I think they're so cool. Yeah, I uh, too. I, I don't uh, I don't get many requests for them, but I think that's because people look at it, and even if they think it's cool, a lot of pipe smokers are very traditional, and that looks like something you might find in a deadhead's room. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> the, it's got the uh, the hookah hose on it. It's, right, it's right. just so out there and, and and so interesting. When I first saw those, I had to laugh, but in, not in a bad way, in a good way, because it was so exciting. It reminded me of uh, the Conan the Barbarian movie, like uh, how you named him Mount Doom. It just it sounded like something straight out of there, and, which is one of my favorite movies, by the way. Um, Excellent. I, I, I immediately called uh, my wife over, and I was like, you you got to see these. And, uh, man, they're just so cool. What inspired you? And if you could, go ahead and describe what those look like, and hopefully you'll put up some more pictures of those. And, and maybe you'll send me a couple, too, so I can put them up on, on the site when we put up the podcast. Sure. The, I, I was inspired by those by, uh, uh, there's a, there, there are a few restaurants, and, and they're not very common, but there are a few restaurants here in the States where you can uh, go in, have dinner, and then at the same time, uh, they'll have a smoking section uh, out back on a patio or something uh, where you can smoke uh, hookahs. And not being a real big flavored tobacco guy, I thought, well, this is this is definitely cool. Number one, that that restaurant would cater to folks who who want to smoke a hookah. Uh, but I I simply can't abide the apple and cherry and whatever flavored tobaccos that they use. I thought, you know, wouldn't this be great where I could make something like this and smoke. Uh, just regular pipe tobacco. Uh, when I say regular, I mean like Balkan and English blends, like the kind I like. Um, and I, I started looking around, and I realized that I believe it was seven years, years and years ago. I had the Gibraltar line, which wasn't. Uh, it was basically a big lump of burl uh, with a hose sticking out of it, but it was not stylized in any fashion whatsoever. And I realized that they. It, it had to be a, a hefty pipe because you're going to set it on a table and hook a hose up to it. You didn't want it sliding all over the table as you were smoking. So I thought that a really good shape for this would be a volcano um, with a base on it, and you could make this a very hefty pipe uh, and yet give it some character instead of just being a lump of burl sitting on the table. And that's kind of where that came from, and at the same time, I had a customer who was interested in the idea, 
and uh, really was the impetus uh, for me to get going on that and, and uh, finally uh, give it a go one day. And, and he was very, very gracious, worked with me as we figured out uh, how to connect the hose. Uh, I actually had gone to a head shop and purchased a hookah hose just because I wanted to see how it went together um, and was surprised at, frankly, what a piece of trash it was. And I, I, I mixed the entire idea. I tore the thing apart. I, I unwrapped it, uh, looked on the inside, how everything was made, and, and decided that I definitely was not going to go that route with it. I wasn't going to do that, so I had to come up with something of my own and uh, discovered... Uh, the uh, beverage tubing. It's a very thin silicone beverage tubing, uh, which is very flexible. And then uh, the sheath uh, to go on the outside. Is, is, and then the hand-cut uh, stems, uh, how to attach those. That, that was quite a... Uh, I think I attached and reattached those stems to that hose six or seven different times trying to figure out how to do it best, you know, how to hide the union so that it didn't look ugly and, and everything else. And, and it, it was one of, those, one of those cases where it's so fun being able to be presented with an engineering problem like that and then be able to experiment, and someone's going to pay you to experiment and figure out how to best to make it work. It was it was uh, it was really really fun. I had so much fun with it that I made a few others, and you know one one for myself. And uh, I had a friend uh, was so enamored with the idea he asked for one, and uh, so I put a few, uh, put a couple up on the website, uh, and those uh, those did sell. But I didn't hear much more. Uh, maybe it's because I didn't uh, I didn't leave them up for very long. But uh, uh, I think. I think part of it may be that uh, pipe makers, again, are very, very traditional. They uh, uh, they like to have a pipe to walk around with the pipe, and you can't necessarily walk around with one of these things. These yeah. are definitely appliances. Yeah, they're pretty big. I mean, you you may be able to uh, fashion one with some sort of a uh, a buckle that could go on your belt, but it'd be it'd be pretty heavy, and it, it might pull your pants down. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think. I think maybe we could do something like the uh, what are those the uh, camelbacks with the water. And, uh, <laughs> And the host that's a great, the shoulder. <laughs> that's a great idea. Uh, oh man. Okay. Well, I expect to see that on your site pretty soon. So, oh man, sure. that's, that's funny. Did you have any mentors when you first started making pipes outside of uh, referring to Pipe Makers Forum? You know, I uh, I want to say no, but I think. I think that's a falsehood. Uh, I, there are a lot of pipe makers who I really looked up to, guys who uh, put out on the uh, Internet everything that they knew about pipe making. And this was really in the very, very early days of Tyler's Forum. A lot of guys didn't know about it. So there were a lot of disparate websites out there detailing one piece or another. Uh, uh, Jaden Liu Hen is uh, out in Hawaii. I learned a lot about pipe making by reading his website. And I really, uh, really respected that he put that stuff out there. And, and uh, uh, I love his work, too. Um, let's see who else. Uh, Todd Johnson, obviously, is uh, just, you have to have respect for his work. It is so incredibly detailed and intricate. He put so much thought behind uh, all of his pieces. Uh, and then there's, there's guys like Tim West, who also demand a great deal of respect from me because, uh, because of how they conduct the business, um, their willingness to speak openly uh, about everything that they do. I, to this day, uh, if you need... Uh, Tim also runs uh, JH Lowe, which is a pipe-making uh, supply house. You can call him up, ask him questions about how to do a certain thing or another, and, and he will talk to you for as long as you want to sit on that phone. Very, very gracious guy. Uh, he is willing to share anything he knows. It is very, very helpful. Uh, and then uh, 
you know, there's there's guys like uh, uh, Rad Davis as well. Uh, Rad, uh, I I want to say that uh, he he probably had an easier time at it, but I I doubt that's the case. I think he he's just he made a lot of pipes, and and he's he said this a few times, guys on the forum, that he made a lot a lot of pipes before he figured it was finally clicking for him. And I can identify with that a lot because it seems like with every year I progress in this in this uh, career is I'll take a look at pipes that are two years old and go, oh my God, did I make that? Oh, oh my work is so much better now. And, you know, I, I have a drawer of, of stuff where I'll come across uh, a pipe that got stuck somewhere that I made two years ago. And I'll look at it and go, Jesus, did I make that? Look, this joint is all sloppy, or, or this doesn't flow right, or, or this is completely out of proportion. So I'll take it to that drawer and stick it in that drawer, and every once in a while I'll open it up and, and take a look at all the pipes in there. And uh, it keeps me grounded, reminds me that this doesn't come naturally to a lot of guys. You know, you have to work at it. You have to learn, figure out how things interact with each other, how does the shape of the bowl interact with the length of the shank or anything else. Very, very few guys see that innately. Uh, I know I never did up until I, I'd been doing this for, I want to say years, before something finally clicked in the back of my head and I realized, oh yeah, well, that does look better than that. But I don't know why, but I know it does. And then I'll, of course, me being the engineer, I'll sit down and with a ruler, measure things out, see if I can figure out why it looks better. Uh, there's a lot of folks that I look up to, a lot of plate makers that I really uh, I respect for one reason or another. It's not always the same reason, but, uh, but yeah, there are quite a few. Did you have any um, early influences that really stand out where uh, you saw a certain pipe, and or a certain brand even or a certain line or something like that and you said wow um and that that kind of interaction influenced you and you said yeah you know i I really want to make pipes because of these things that i've seen are there any things any uh lines or carvers that stand out in your mind yes uh when i first started making pipes i was very intrigued with uh, carl eric and uh really looked at all of all of the pipes that were coming out of, of uh, his production and really sat down and, and wanted to make pipes that looked like that. Uh, later on in my career, uh, I took a look at uh, the, the German carvers um, and saw much smaller pipes, a lot smaller pipes, uh, not quite dainty, but more elegantly refined. You cut to the bone, as, as uh, a lot of folks would say, and then and that started influencing a lot of my work. And uh, uh, I have to mention Roger Wallenstein because his pipes are so out there. You know, people uh, they look at his pipes and they don't know: is it a pipe? Is it an alien animal? Is it is it what? I don't I. I he may or may not be insane, as I've told him before. But so, if he is, in my kind of He's your kind and, of insane? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. What, I, I love again? his place. I'm sorry? Say his name again. Roger Wallenstein. Okay. I'll have to look uh, him up. Yeah, definitely look him up. He he makes some very strange shapes, but they are, they are very uh, refined. Uh, I, I hesitate to use the word elegant. Uh, knowing Roger, but uh, that being said, I, I find them absolutely amazing in shape and in form. And uh, most recently, he's been influencing my work as well. Uh, Trevor Talbert influenced me from very early on, uh, not only in terms of pipe shapes and everything, but in the fact that uh, he's such a geek. He, he understands uh, why folks like myself want to know the whys and wherefores, the hows, um, why do things look different, why do 
we do things a certain way, uh, economy of motion, that type of thing. Uh, and I, really, those are probably the biggest influences on my work these days. How do you begin to make a pipe? Do you start on paper, or do you go directly to the wood, or a little bit of both? A little bit of both. Um, when I when I have a commission, I'll start it off on paper, uh, trying to figure out uh, basically proportions and everything that the customer would be happy with. And then typically, what's happened? What I'll do is I'll I'll scan it in and send them a picture and uh, get approval, and then I'll begin finding a block that matches the shape that I drew. Other times, I'll, uh, and sometimes these are the most adventurous and most fun, is reaching into uh, the box or bag of briar blocks, pulling something out, and making a pipe from it. And sometimes those can be the most fraught with danger as well, because you almost never know what, if you, if you don't go into it with a good plan, you know, you're bound to mess up somewhere along the way. But as, as they say, in, uh, as I've told a couple of people, when you mess up making a pipe, you didn't just ruin a briar block. All you did was make a smaller pipe. <laughs> What's your favorite part about making pipes? I would say my favorite part, my favorite part is when I get an email back from a customer uh, telling me how much they enjoy the pipe. That is definitely my favorite part. Uh, other than that, I I would say that I really enjoy just the entire process. Uh, I, I love playing with my tools. I love woodworking. Uh, I really can't think of anything I'd rather be doing when I'm in the workshop. Um, you know, there are there are days actually where. I want to be in the workshop and I want to be making pipes. And it doesn't matter, sanding, uh, filing a stem, uh, anything. I, I want to be there doing that. But it's a beautiful day outside and the grass needs mowed. And I get really sort of irritated that I have to go and mow the grass <laughs> or plant the garden or, you know, do whatever, uh, tame, the, uh, tame the bushes that are encroaching from the woods, you know, what, any of that. I, I just love the entire process. I think probably my favorite part of the process of making a pipe is probably the rough shaping because it's in that time where you know, as you as you near the end of rough shaping, you know whether this is going to be a good pipe or not. Uh, and you can tell before you've even started finished sanding, is it going to be smooth or is it going to end up sandblasted? Uh, and at that point, you've still got time to make adjustments. You know, you if you run into a flaw in the briar, you've still got time to work around that flaw. You're not going to end up with the pipe that you set out to make, but you can still end up with a really nice pipe. And I think that, that part is almost magical because you're taking this ugly lump of, of briar wood that's sort of brown and mottled looking and, and not really very good looking, and you're making something out of it that is, uh, has, has thought and purpose behind it. I think that's probably my favorite piece of the process. Um, for the record, I don't think that, that grass really needs to be cut. So. <laughs> I don't either, but my wife disagrees with that assessment. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I would rather you make pipes than cut the grass, for what it's worth. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I wanted goats. And she said, absolutely not. I said, yeah, but they'll keep the grass cut. She said, absolutely not. <laughs> how, how and when did you start collecting and smoking pipes? I started collecting mm, shortly after I was married. Um, I was a cigarette smoker for a very long time. And shortly after I was married, when, uh, when my wife was pregnant with our first child, uh, I knew the dangers of smoking. I was one of these people. I know the dangers of smoking. I don't care. I, I like it. I'm going to, to continue smoking. Uh, but as soon as she was pregnant, that all came to a screeching halt. Uh, I tried to 
quit cigarettes cold turkey. That didn't work, as most people will, will attest to. But I thought, you know, my dad smoked a pipe when I was a kid. Uh, why don't I smoke a pipe? And, you know, like most first-time pipe smokers, I went down to the local drugstore, uh, got a couple of cheap, uh, I don't even know if they were Dr. Grabow's, I, who knows, and, uh, and some inexpensive tobacco, and that was disastrous. Uh, burned my tongue to an absolute crisp. Didn't know how to pack a pipe or anything else. Uh, and uh, just, uh, just thought that uh, this was all garbage. Uh, took up cigars, but the wife didn't let those anywhere near the apartment at the time. Uh, so I decided to come back to pipes, and this time I decided that uh, maybe I wasn't at fault. Uh, maybe it was the pipes that I had chosen or the tobacco I had chosen, and that I should really probably put some more thought into it than grab a pipe, grab tobacco, smoke, hug, you know. Uh, and uh, that's, I think, about that same time I discovered uh, Peterson system pipes, which were uh, a hell of a lot better on my tongue than, uh, than what I'd been smoking before. And I also discovered um, good tobacco. Uh, I forget what it was that I initially started on. I, I want to say it was uh, uh, Gowith and Earth brand, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell you for certain, but it was an English-style blend. And I realized at that time that definitely the first time around, I had completely screwed up, and I had put no thought whatsoever into it and uh, that I needed to really think about this because it, this, wasn't, uh, this wasn't like cigarettes. You don't smoke a pipe, uh, grab a pipe and any old tobacco and smoke it, and off you go. There's a little more thought that has to be invested into it. Uh, and so I, I, that's when I really became interested in good pipes, uh, good tobacco, uh, and uh, really, really became very fond of, uh, uh, at that point, I don't think I was aware of handmade pipes, but I was aware of good factory-made pipes. Uh, and the, that's, uh, in fact, the, the Carl Eric brand uh I don't know if those are factory made or, or handmade or not, but all I know is that they smoke like a dream. That's really where I got introduced to his stuff. What was your uh, your first um, hand carved or artisanal pipe that that um, you got? Ah, uh, good question. Um, I really couldn't afford uh, a hand carved pipe. Uh, so I had a lot of my own, obviously. But I think the first hand-carved pipe that I really sought out, I have to say it was it was uh, one from Trevor Talbert. I had been watching his site for a very long time. And uh, one came up uh, in his uh, green finish, and I absolutely had to have it, I, and I jumped on it. Uh, it was a... Uh, it was one of his uh, main Britannia lines, so it wasn't completely handmade, but I, I knew what he did uh, to finish those pipes, and uh, that was the first one that I actually bought. Since then, I've, I've, I've traded pipes with a bunch of guys, uh, and I've got uh, a Jeff Grasick. I've got uh, uh, one that uh, the guys on the forum a couple of years ago uh, to show their appreciation, actually had a a uh, collaboration pipe uh, that they sent me, uh, which uh, just a bunch of guys actually took part in. You know, one guy would do the rough shape, and one guy would make the stem, and you know, this pipe would get passed around. I, I have no idea how long it got passed around to these guys for, but when it came to me, it uh, it was actually signed on the bottom by all of them, and it was uh, that was, that was incredibly special. That's still one of my favorite pipes. As well. Wow, that's really cool. About twice a week, I think. It's it's a wonderful pipe. Do you have a favorite pipe that you smoke more than any other? Yes, I do. Uh, I have two that share just about equal time. Uh, one of them is a uh, little chubby bent billiard with a saddle stem that I made uh, several years ago. Uh, and it's, I want to say it's only about 
three and a half or four inches long, uh, but it's got you know these great chubby proportions. That one, along with uh, a little uh, pipe that I uh, got from Jeff Grzyk, pardon me, which is similar in size, not shape, but it's it's still it's only about three and a half or four inches. Yeah, it's about four inches long, uh, and it it is such. It's so, such a comfortable pipe. It's just incredible. Those two share uh, probably equal uh, uh, equal time in terms of being smoked. What is your current favorite tobacco? My current favorite tobacco is Balkan Sassiani. And I have a tin of it here on my desk, actually. Uh, I discovered this one by accident. Uh, and I was... Uh, I forget. I was ordering something. Oh, I was I was ordering some uh, cigars from JR Cigar, and I saw that they had a uh, they had Balkan Sassiani, and I of course had heard of Balkan Sobrani, and thought, you know, I wonder is it is it anything uh, is it anything good? And uh, so I ordered a tin of it, and it turns out that I absolutely love this tobacco. Uh, it is it, it's just wonderful. Uh, even burning, uh, it, it's heavy on uh, uh, condiment tobaccos, which is what I love. Uh, you know, it's got a spicy, creamy, smoky, campfire and leather sort of uh, smell to it, which is which is I just love. Uh, that that one, as well as uh, Byzantium from Cornell and Deal, is another one of my absolute favorites. Uh, Byzantium is. Uh, it is reminiscent of aged Penzance, and I don't know how the guys at Cornell and Dale do it, uh, but it is it is actually, in my opinion, better than Penzance. It comes in sort of a broken cake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have to bust it up. Uh, it's a little drier than Penzance, which is sort of a big deal for me because I do like drier tobaccos. Uh, and it also is, is one of these wonderful things that just it feels like you ought to be smoking it around a campfire because there's there's a smokiness, uh, a saltiness, uh, sort of a leather undertone. It's it's really wonderful. What can we expect from Kurt Hewn in the future? Uh, don't really know. I, I am one of these guys who makes a plan for the day before I get out of bed in the morning, but uh, I'm not, I don't have enough foresight to to say, you know, what I'll be doing uh, uh, five years from now, two years, or even six months. Um, I do have a couple of uh, new tools that uh, uh, that I'm planning on refining and, and offering to other pipe makers. Uh, there are a few things that I do want to explore. I think in the immediate future, what you'll see from me is, is a little bit larger pipes. Uh, my career up to this point has been really sort of following the, uh, the cut to the bone, uh, smaller pipe. But lately, I've been having a lot of requests for more uh, larger styles, uh, larger pipes, you know, going from uh, you know, in the seven-inch long range with uh, heavier proportions, so it really thick um, bowl walls, that type of thing, uh, will, will be coming. Uh, will be coming up. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, presently, you know, I'm working on uh, a couple of pipes that uh, are fairly large proportion. Uh, a couple of which are already uh, spoken for, but uh, I think uh, those are. I, I'm one of these people who tends to, when I start on a given vein, I like to fully explore that vein and, and really try to come up with all the permutations that I can. I was on a very short pipe kick for, uh, I want to say, for the better part of a year uh, up until recently, and uh, really uh, trying to explore how to make a, a, a pipe that's only maybe four and a half or five inches long. Um, can I make this? You know, comfortable and uh, such that it's not, and you're not, while you're smoking, you don't have the tobacco rising off the chamber and going up your nose and making you sneeze or anything like that. And, and 
that I spent a long time really trying to to perfect and, and uh, uh, really understand. Uh, and that uh, I, I won't say that I've really explored that as far as I'm going to, but uh, uh, when I got these requests for larger size pipes, I thought, ooh, this would be an interesting diversion to, to explore those as well. Now, how can I make a, a, a large pipe uh, of hefty proportions, very comfortable for, you know, the, the big guy, you know, guys who are my size who want to smoke these big pipes, and yet still make them comfortable so that they'll hang in your mouth if you're a clencher or they'll, you know, you can hold them in your hand effortlessly without really having to think about it. Um, so I think, I think we'll see that pretty soon. Beyond that, I, I think uh, I am currently working on uh, uh, trying to find more Morta, so hopefully we'll see some of that soon. And uh, the Fittyman line, uh, I've got a line on some uh, preterm stumbles, so hopefully, hopefully we'll see a bunch more of those in the near future as well. And you do uh, commission orders, right? I certainly do, yes. So uh, if, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, they would just uh, go straight to your site and then contact you that way, right? Yes, absolutely. My uh, email address, uh, my phone number and everything is, is on the site. Uh, anybody should feel free to pick up the phone, give me a buzz, or even just send me an email. Either way works. Excellent. How do you like working with the Morta? It is... It is holy hell on uh, grinding belts and uh, bandsaw blades. Uh, but other than that, I love working with that material uh, because it it, op it acts very similar to briar in terms of its hardness, um, but it is it takes it almost a step beyond uh, a normal uh, grinding belt, as I'm doing uh, briar pipes, will last through you know, four or five uh, pipes. But there have been times when I've been working on a mortar where I've had to actually change my grinding belt in the middle and get a fresh one on so that I could finish shaping. Wow. Uh, pipe. Uh, that is, it, it's, it's not quite stone, uh, it's, but it is, it is incredibly hard. Um, it is, uh, I think, I don't want to say difficult to work with, because it's not, you just have to wrap your brain around it, you know, how it's going to react. And, and again, Trevor Talbot was absolutely instrumental in helping me understand the material. Uh, and uh, I, I've, I've thanked him several times for that. And it, it is, uh, it is uh, it, it's wonderful stuff, uh, in my opinion. And when you smoke, I, I have found that uh, when you smoke a, a mortar pipe, you find out that there's a whole new layer to your tobacco than you were aware of before. And I'm not sure why that is. I think it has something to do with the chemistry of the wood. Uh, but it, it tends to mute some flavors and, and bring to the forefront other flavors. Hmm. It's really interesting stuff. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, spending the time with us and taking some time out of your busy schedule to chat for a bit. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. You bet. I can't wait to uh, see what new stuff you get going and and uh, check out some more stuff on Pipe Makers Forum. Thanks so much for all your hard work on the forum and uh, for making some just absolutely gorgeous pipes, too. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And that was my chat with the multi-talented Kurt Hewn. This guy not only makes wonderful pipes, he's a huge component in the support of pipe makers of all kinds. Our community is indebted to Kurt and folks just like him who spend many of their own hours and much of their own time building conduits of our hobby that connect us. Check out pipemakersforum.com for tips and tricks on all stages of pipe making. Also check out pipecrafter.com and pick up one of Kurt's very own handmade gems today. This podcast was brought to you by Pipes and Tobacco's Magazine. Subscribe, support, and poke around over at pt-magazine.com. There's a wealth of cool stuff over there on their site, so check it out. Hey, if you've enjoyed this podcast, consider supporting it by clicking on the donate button over at oompaul.com. Any amount is greatly appreciated. Heck, even a buck buys me a fine cup of coffee that I drink while putting these things together. 
I'll even mention your name on a podcast as a thank you. When you donate $100 or more, you get your choice of any of the Monstrosity Pipes, which comes with a lifetime ashes-to-ashes guarantee against breakage, burnout, and even bite-through. All month long during October 2010, get two Monstrosities for a $150 donation. But please make sure you get those requests into me early. Thanks for listening. I'm Oli with Oompal.com wishing you very good luck trying to determine which Kurt Hewn pipe will be next in your collection. <laughs> <laughs>